Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second episode of our new podcast, The Learning Curve. I am your host, Julia McLeod. Before we begin, please join me in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lord, enable me to teach with wisdom, for I help to shape the mind. Equip me to teach with truth, for I help to shape the conscience. Encourage me to teach with vision, for I help to shape the future. Empower me to teach with love, for I help to shape the world. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We would like to take a moment to reflect on the events of our history that have led us to gather here today for the purpose of learning together. This traditional territory on which we gather is of the Indigenous peoples of the Treaty 6 region and the Métis settlements and Métis Nation of Alberta Region Zone 2, 3, and 4. We are recording from our new studios here at Lumen Christi, our common home in Edmonton Catholic Schools. Today's episode is called Breaking Down Barriers, the Power of Inclusive Education and Outcomes-Based Assessment for All Students. Our agenda for the episode begins with TSA Tricky Situations and Assessment with Nicole Lafreniere, our Director of Curriculum and Assessment. In this segment, Nicole will help us navigate and land on solutions to difficult situations in assessment. Our interview segment for today has two guests, Antonio Stabile and Carmen Gardner, two of our inclusive consultants here at Learning Services. Then we're going to dive into, we're still doing that with Deputy Superintendent Tim Cusack. Tim will help us explore outdated assessment practices and offer solutions to help us move forward. Well, that's the plan for today. Let's jump right in. A student is challenging you on a grade they got for a group project. The student claims they did most of the work and shouldn't be penalized by the other student's non-contributions to the project as a whole. As the teacher, you believe that the grade should stand because the grade is based on what students demonstrated. What do you do? I think the first thing I need to do as a teacher is I need to have a really strong understanding of my assessment. I need to forward plan my assessment so that I know why I'm asking kids to do these particular uh, tasks. So in a group assessment, what outcomes am I trying to get at? Because it's very difficult to be able to say that every student has the exact same understanding of every outcome. Now, that's not to say that there aren't situations where it's absolutely appropriate and right to have a a group mark. For example, in general outcome five of English language arts, uh, collaboration and cooperation is is a a key outcome. Um, But if there are other outcomes that are... um, required through this particular task, then we need to make sure that we have the success criteria clearly laid out and that I, as a teacher, know and understand exactly what that student is capable of doing. Because the second that that student uh, challenges me, I need to be able to articulate exactly why they received the mark that that they did. So when I'm setting up a group project, have I set it up so that Uh, students have individual opportunities 
to demonstrate their knowledge even within a group project how are they how are they uh, being assessed how are they peer assessing each other how is that feedback being given so that I can be very clear with any any interested party the student the parent and administrator how I achieve that grade. And that stands for any assessment that we've done. So any assessment that I create, I need to be able to say why I've, I've designed it uh, in the way that I have. That's the importance of, of that, um, I guess, metacognitive piece as a teacher. As I'm designing my assessments, I need to be thinking of these things. I don't want to just take an assessment off of teacher pay teachers or from my next door neighbor. I need to be able to think, how did I create this so that I have the best possible representation of student understanding at the end of it, uh, whether that's a level of achievement or a, a percentage grade. Welcome, Antonio. Thank you for having me. So we're going to jump right in um, with our first question of the day. How does outcomes-based assessment play a role into fostering an inclusive classroom environment? It's a great question. Um, in my opinion, outcome-based assessment it can play a crucial role in fostering an inclusive classroom environment for providing a framework that is both flexible and adaptable to meet the diverse uh, needs of all learners. So that whole dif differentiation idea. Um, outcome-based assessment is an approach to assessment that focuses on the learning outcomes or results of instruction rather than the inputs or processes. This means that OBA measures what students can do with the knowledge they have um, as they acquire it, rather than simply how much they have learned. So I'm gonna use the example of uh, most classroom teachers' uh, classic schedule. So we're gonna go through a unit, a chapter, um, a topic, and then on a Friday, whether it's the first Friday of the month, second Friday of the month, second and fourth Friday of the month, we do our uh, summative assessment. So I look at student Antonio, who maybe struggles with summative assessments, and all of a sudden he stops showing up every Friday. So now I have a student who is behind in the curriculum, who's struggling with summative assessments, and who I have to do an individual task with at some other point. Um, so what am I actually getting from assessment data? Is he actually not doing well on the curriculum content? Or is it the barriers that I've put in place for him in the classroom by having that summative assessment on that routines-based task at a certain time every month? So in my opinion, in an inclusive classroom, that flexibility is paramount to uh, ensuring that all students have an opportunity to meet a goal and show you what they know about a goal or an outcome on their terms. And that's really important for a lot of teachers because we are, um, we want to be flexible, we want to be inclusive minded, uh, we want to differentiate for all students, but we get ourselves in this like, you know, we have our, our routine set up. It's hard to jump out of our own routines. So sometimes as teachers, we can even be barriers because we have a set, set of goals that we want to get through or set of outcomes that we want to get through but it's that routine that we have a hard time changing so that's that's a big piece to why i feel that outcome-based assessment would be um, crucial in uh, a truly inclusive classroom because it does allow for that flexibility for all learners creating an equitable inclusive space mm -hmm. yeah i really like how you how you said the flexibility so really opening up our assessments so that all students have an opportunity to to reach the learning outcome that's that's provided to us by alberta education so could you provide some examples of how outcomes-based assessment is making a positive impact on inclusive education practices in the classroom? For sure. So uh, one way I feel like is really personalizing assessment. So a lot of times, again, I'm going to use a, a classic example. We have a multiple choice exam at the end of our topic, and that's what every student gets. So I have a classroom of 30 students and every student gets that. 
So a lot of times when I come into a classroom in my role, the students that I'm observing are trying to assist the teachers or the staff with our students with special education codes. But if you think about it from a truly inclusive um, lens, so you might have a student that's, that's getting 70%. That seems amazing. But that student, if they were given an opportunity to maybe show what they know in a different way outside of a multiple choice test, and I'm not picking a multiple choice test, it's just a classic example that we have in education, that student might go from a 70% to an 80% to a 90%. Maybe they show you full mastery of a concept of an outcome because they're allowed to show you what they know in a different way. Um, a near, another thing that a lot of students sometimes struggle with is understanding what the clear um, learning outcomes are. Sometimes as teachers, we forget what the clear learning outcomes are. So as we remind ourselves as teachers, when we do our little weekly review of what our next outcome or concept is, uh, we can make that explicit to the learners in our classroom. For the students that um, you know are, are everyday attenders that are, are showing up to class and bringing their materials and are ready to learn on a daily basis, maybe not as important, but you'll have a lot of students in your class that need that explicit instruction and explicit uh, learner outcome development so that they know what is expected of them. And that's a big thing. Like if we come to our jobs every day and we don't know what our expectations are, we kind of just willy nilly do what we wish. And sometimes that's great, sometimes it's not so great. So direction is good for everyone. Um, ongoing feedback, so that formative feedback piece. I'm going to give everybody an example, and I want you to just put yourself in this. As uh, When you went to university, you took a number of classes, and in those classes, you for sure had a few where the teacher had an assignment that was a 10-page reflection, essay, prompt, and it was worth 1%. How many of you, knowing that it was worth 1%, chose to do not your best work? I'm sure we were all there at some point. So there's a lot of students who see that they have 30 to 40 um, assignments and they're worth 10% of their overall grade, but they have one summative assessment at the end that's really worth 25%. That, that to them is pressure. It's a barrier. Um, they know that a lot of their assignment work is really going for naught. So I feel like formative feedback is very, very, very important. Um, I use an example of a child learning to walk. How many times does a child fall on its butt before it finally stands up and takes its first step? So that formative feedback is crucially important to our development as, as young humans. So why do we take it away when we're in a classroom setup where we have opportunity on a daily basis to provide every student with formative feedback? And the nice thing is if you provide formative feedback to one student, the student that's sitting right next to him or her might say, hey, yeah, I'm doing the same thing. Maybe I can take some of this and implement it into what I'm doing. And then the last piece I, I would say is, is the, the differentiation again, going back to making learning applicable and amicable or equitable for all students as opposed to just focusing on okay i have you know two students who are eal i need to make sure that i do something different for them and i have one student with a special education code so i'm going to do something different for them that mindset puts a lot of pressure on you as a teacher um, so when you think about the whole classroom an inclusive lens and truly use a udl lens for your classroom i think outcome-based assessment can really make your job um, more accessible for all of your learners and take a lot of the pressure off yourself. That's my opinion on that one. Yeah, so some some clear points that I heard, heard in that, that uh, explanation were, one, setting clear learning goals for all students, setting success criteria, how, how do students get to those learning goals, and, and then involving them in the process of the learning, giving them feedback so that they're, they're working towards the, that growth mindset rather than gaming the system of, oh, this, this assignment is worth less, so I'm just not going to do it or not going to do so well on that assignment. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, I mean, education is a two-way street. We have the students and we have the teacher. 
right? Or the staff that's working with those students. And I feel like a lot of times it's the teacher who's delivering and then the expectation of the student for a product. So there's a almost a divide there where we need to be on the same page and working together. So if a student says, hey, um, writing a 10 page essay is not great for me. Can I use Flipgrid and act it out? And as a teacher, if we're you know open to change and open to allowing uh, differentiation, that's a, a great tool that we can use. Our students know more about apps and online assessment tools and um, um, different assessment practices because they're online all the time. I feel like if we give them a little bit more of a voice, they could teach us a lot too, which mm -hmm. would probably help us alleviate some of our stress of always trying to look for a new and better way to do something. Our students probably have some suggestions for us. Yeah. Yeah, work smarter, not harder. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how do you, where do you recommend that teachers start on this journey towards outcomes-based assessment and inclusive education? Well, teachers will be in the exact same boat as me. Um, when I was asked to do this uh, podcast, I know that my knowledge was rather limited and I had to do a lot of um, research. So research, attend uh, these lovely ladies in our, on our assessment team's uh, professional development sessions. Uh, reaching out to them individually via email. But again, I just did some simple Google searching um, and there is 35 to 40 years worth of data out there that you can look at. Um, I use YouTube quite a bit because I like to listen to things as I drive. So I got to listen to, um, you know, a couple professionals from other countries, a couple of our uh, Canadian professionals in Saskatchewan. There's a lot of great material out there and it's, it's, it's done in a way that's easy to listen to. You can do it on a drive. Um, the next thing would be learning how to identify clear learner outcomes. I feel like for all of us, that's great practice. We might be doing it already um, unintentionally because we look at our curriculum and we, we try and review on what we're trying to teach for that week, that month, whatever it may be. But doing that with our students, that's, that's a practice that I know I didn't do um, a lot of when I was uh, teaching. And now when I go do my professional developments, that's something that I try and evolve thanks to our assessment team and, and myself learning from them. Um, I try and do that in my professional developments. Make sure that you know what you're teaching clearly for yourself, but then involve your students so that they have those expectations and they're explicit. So I'll use that word again. Um, aligning our instruction with what our learning outcomes are and our assessment. So sometimes we have an assessment in place that we've used for the last 15, 20 years, but it's asking students to color rivers on a map. Are those rivers on a map part of the curricular outcome that we're actually looking to assess? Maybe, maybe not. Are we putting too much emphasis on how well they colored versus how much they know, right? So there's that, there's that uh, review of our practice that we should be doing um, on a continual basis. And again, I'm not saying reinvent the wheel. I'm not saying go out and toss all your resources. That's obviously not, not what we wanna do, but collaborate with your colleagues, ask what they're doing, what they have that's working that's positive. Um, bring some of that into your practice and involve your students. Ask them what they want to do as an assessment or as um, a learning intention, and then make them part of the ownership of their education, because I think that's important. Um, obviously, providing ongoing feedback to your students. Again, most teachers want to do that, but things get in the way, such as time, um, such as, oh, we only have uh, a certain number of days to get to this topic, so I have to get through it quicker. But, but Formative feedback can be as simple as walking around and saying, hey, great job. I really love how you did that assignment, right? That means that you're you're giving that student um, praise. You provide them with motivation, right? So ongoing feedback is, is amazing. And it doesn't need to be you writing down paragraphs and handing it back to students. It can be simple verbal praise that's um, given to all students. 
And then the, the last piece, again, is that uh, analyzing and use of assessment data. So what, what do we have at our fingertips to help us ensure that students, if they aren't grasping a skill, we can provide some direction to help them grasp skills or outcomes. So I find that a lot of times, and I'm going to use an example of math. Okay? I was not the world's greatest math student. I took my last math class when I was in grade 10. Um, ironically, I taught a lot of math in high school, but maybe I shouldn't have. Um, <laughs> When I was taking math, I recall saying, okay, we're, we're doing volume right now. Mm -hmm. Once the Friday exam passes, volume is done. I'll never see volume again. I never have to think about volume again. That was probably not the best way to learn. Now, when I reflect back on it, because, and this happens in, not, in more than just math. I'm using math as an example because it was my probably least favorite subject. Um, but yeah, I remember that once a topic was done, it was almost out of my mind and I would never think of it again. With outcome-based assessment, the skills that I learned for the outcome of volume would be translated into other areas, which they are. But in the in the in the historical model, once a topic's done, you think about you forget about it and you move on to something different. So I feel like analyzing and using assessment data that we get, both formative and summative, is really important to changing our practice as teachers, making our practice a little bit more deliberate and intentional, um, and then ensuring that our students are part of that journey. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I really like how you talked about collaboration, like collaboration with with professionals in the building, other teachers in the building, but also that collaboration with our students. Like, they're they're in this this environment with us. They're in the education system with us. So, so how how are we bringing them into the learning? Um, before we cut to our segment with Tim Kusak, is there any other point you'd like to to touch on today? No, I mean, I'll, I'll just give everybody the, uh, I'll preface this with, I didn't know a lot about this um, within the last, I don't know, three or four months that you guys have been rolling this out. I've been doing a little bit more of a personal dive into it. Um, and I find that now I'm incorporating a lot more of the concepts of outcome-based assessment into my own professional development. And I really do think that it's small mindset changes. It's not holistic changes in our teaching practice. And I, I think those small mindset changes will go a lot will go far in creating truly inclusive classrooms, which, you know, however you look at it, that is the way our society is going. We will have students that English is not their first language. We will have students with special education codes. We'll have students who don't learn at the same pace as their peers. That is going to happen in every single classroom in our division. And that's just something that, um, you know, we need to embrace and try and, you know, take some stressors off of ourselves by doing things that can, you know, actually support the learners we have. So yeah, I think this is a, a great initiative. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for your time with us today, Antonio. We, we really appreciate your insights and, and your inclusive lens into outcomes-based assessment and reporting. So we're gonna cut now to our fun segment we call, We're Still Doing That with Tim Cusack. What? Are we still doing that? Stop it. Relying on the grade book to be the final determiner of a child's success in a program of study, that's problematic. As the teacher in understanding your professional body of knowledge, you are the person who knows that learner the best in terms of their situational dispositions towards the content and the concepts that they've been learning from you throughout the year or the unit, whatever time frame it is. So yes, you have marks in your grade book. And we talked about the importance of triangulating data. So lots of formative that moves towards that summative, but always that opportunity for mastery learning. 
that a child who maybe struggled with the concept and, and fall has grown, they've matured. So when you come back and look at reassessing that or reevaluating where they are in terms of their disposition towards that concept in, in March or April, they may have demonstrated tremendous growth since then. But if we're locked in time to a, a grade, a number that's in that grade book, then that's not fair to the child. That's not really reflecting that growth toward mastery. So absolutely, you will have marks in your grade book, but you know what the child can really do. And you have had a chance to watch them grow and walk along with them and supporting that growth. So yes, the marks speak their truth, but you know the human faces to that data. And so ultimately, your professional discretion is powerful. So you don't have to saddle that child with an earlier mark if they didn't quite get it back in the fall. Hey, at the end of the year, if you've seen them demonstrate a better degree towards mastery or better yet mastery, why wouldn't you recognize them for that mastery? What do you think? Welcome, Herman. It's fantastic to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. So we're going to just jump straight into the, okay. the questions. Let's start with, um, couldn't you give us a brief overview of the defining features of an inclusive classroom environment? Yeah, you bet. Uh, so I do think that there are some characteristics that um, definitely I like to see when I do my, my classroom visits. Um, first of all, I'd say assistive tech. So how is that being used in the classroom? Uh, do students know how to use Google? Uh, Google Read Write? Do they um, have a lot of um, uh, access to microphones, headphones? Um, and then, of course, for our more complex learners, um, do these students have a core board or AAC device? Or like one of my high school students has a, a switch and that's how she communicates. So using uh, tech, um, it makes a huge difference in an inclusive classroom. Definitely levels that playing field. Secondly, I'd say visuals are very important in a classroom, regardless of K to 12. Uh, anchor charts, um, having the schedule of things to do um, during the class, very important. Even for our younger kids, having timers or um, transition sequences really help minimize behaviors. Uh, thirdly, I'd say that um, leveled materials. So when we look at reading that there are a variety of leveled books also available on audio so students can listen to a book um, and uh, having manipulative something for our kinesthetic learners. Even those little uh, hokey stools are fantastic. Um, even for myself, I, I love sitting on those uh, balls on the chair. I love that because um, I definitely move around quite a bit. Yeah. Um, next, I think that an important feature of an inclusive classroom environment is collaboration. Getting your learning coach involved. Um, does a student require MDT support, mental health support, OT, SLP? So we have, we're, we're so lucky in ECSD to have access to these and, and to really support the whole, the whole child and even the family. So that collaboration piece is very important. And lastly, I think for an inclusive classroom to be successful, there needs to be professional development. We need to have relevant, timely professional development 
to help our teachers support the changing demographics within their classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those last two pieces of collaboration and professional development, that relates to outcomes-based assessment as well. We really want teachers to, to be working with one another so that we're looking at education more holistically. And we're hoping that this podcast episode will, will help bridge the connection between outcomes-based assessment and inclusive education right. because they're strongly related to one another. Absolutely. So um, moving forward, how does outcomes-based assessment differ from traditional methods in terms of promoting equity and diversity in education? Yeah, I think that out outcomes-based assessment is, is definitely more student-centered. So I feel within that you can really um, uh, allow sufficient time for a student to achieve mastery. And it also lends itself well to building in those supports, those extra steps that a student may need. So I, especially as a teacher myself, I feel that pressure of moving, moving, moving. But when you actually take a step back and say, you know what, it is okay that this student is here. My goal is to get them here and, and just kind of look, it's like planning with the end in mind, right? What are the steps that can get my student here? It's going to take them longer, um, but I have a clearer picture of what they need to know. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head <clears> with, <throat> with that idea of mastery of a, of a learning outcome and how we build our students up to, to achieving the learning outcome, to mastering the learning outcome. And I, and I think it just helps build that um, instead of, you know, uh, getting a mark, getting a mark, I think students actually retain more when they're really getting into something and and following through and taking the time. Um, I, I think it actually does build mastery rather than, um, you know, retest, retest mm -hmm. to get, you know, a few extra percent. Yeah, and a, a refocusing <clears throat> on the skills, the skills that are going right. to help students become citizens out in the world in, in a short few years. Absolutely. Yeah, so our last question is, um, if, if we're envisioning this, where do you recommend that teachers start on this journey towards outcomes-based assessment and inclusive education? I think a great place to start is the most basic. Who, who are the students sitting in front of you? So especially at the junior high and high school level, having students fill out an all about me, what do I like, what do I dislike, how do I learn, what are my strengths, what are my areas that I may, I may need from you, what, what supports do I need from you as my teacher, uh, to help me get there. So um, I've always given a learning inventory, even when I taught 18 and 19 year olds with alt ed mm -hmm. um, in a quarterly block of social 30-2, I had them do that. And it really helped me um, hone in on how I can best support the students sitting in front of me. I think the other thing that outcomes-based assessment really does is it gives that endpoint. So students are, are well aware of why we're doing this, what I need to know at the end of this, and it just makes it relevant so that my social aid kid isn't saying, why do I need to know this? Uh, they know exactly why they need to know it. And even as an adult, right? We go into meetings, sometimes you think, what, what is the end game here? Yeah. And so when you, when you know that before the learning starts, uh, right at the beginning, uh, it really gives, it really focuses that. 
We are now nearing the end of our episode, but before we sign off, I would like to extend a huge thank you to our guests, Antonio Stabile and Carmen Gardner for their insights into inclusive education and really what makes up an inclusive classroom environment. Thank you again to both Nicole Lafreniere and Tim Cusack for their segments. And last but not least to you, our listeners, thank you for tuning in to our episodes here on The Learning Curve. Last week, we wanted to hear from you, both on Spotify and on Instagram. We invited you to share your classroom experiences with assessment. Uh, last week's prompt was to share an assessment strategy that you currently use. So I'm just going to pull it up. Uh, two of our teachers have interacted with us via Instagram uh, last week. So the first I would like to give a shout out to is Colette Tercier. She shared with us that she really uses single point rubrics and co-constructs criteria with her students in her classroom. So good on you, Colette. Keep that up. The second, uh, the second teacher who interacted with us is Lisa McPherson, and uh, she wanted to share a strategy of using colored cards. So in her classroom with younger students, she uses red or black cards, and she asks the students questions, and if the answer is yes, they raise uh, one of the colored cards, and if the answer is no, they raise the other color. And for her, it's an easy and interactive way to see if they understand what is being asked without needing to see other students' responses. Uh, heads down or thumbs up is another similar game uh, that she uses in her classroom to, to check for that understanding. And she also wanted to highlight the use of exit tickets or writing down their answer on whiteboards. So thank you so much, Lisa, for sharing those uh, strategies with us today. And it's insightful to see that they work with younger students as well. So this week's prompt is to um, pitch us an idea. What would you like to hear as an episode here on The Learning Curve? So using Instagram or Spotify, please interact with us and let us know how we can best serve you. Just a reminder, we'll be releasing episodes bi-weekly with each episode featuring different voices and perspectives. Please like and subscribe to this channel to stay up to date with each release. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at ECSD Learning, our YouTube channel at ECSD Learning 7786, and check out our many resources on our SharePoint site, bit.ly backslash assessment ECSD. All three links are in the episode description. And that's our time. See you next week on The Learning Curve.